Has the world ever been at peace? Hmm. And what two U.S. states had stripes removed from the American flag? <laughs> Answer, really? Yes. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. Well, if we ever had a time there wasn't any war, that would be a time of sanity, I think, don't you? (laughs) Yes. And that relates to your question. Yes, Bob. In the course of human history, Mm -hmm. has there ever been a time without war? I would imagine the answer is no. I'd say from, from the time of... Adam and Eve and their two sons who fought each other, it's always been war. War, war, war. War, war, war. Okay, well, if we define war as an active conflict that has claimed more than a thousand lives. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is according to New York Times, okay? Over the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for only 268 years. No kidding. Or just 8% of recorded history. Oh my God, where was that from? A book entitled What Every Person Should Know About War Hmm. by Chris Hedges. Wow, okay, very interesting. Oh, there's a lot of information in there. Okay, Bob, what's your question? What two U.S. states had stripes removed from the U.S. flag? From the U.S. Well, it's got to be someone like Texas. Is that one of them? No. No? Uh, now, how many states? Oh, maybe one of the 13 states? No. No? Okay. Or? Or? <laughs> so there were 13 stripes and 13 stars right. in the original flag. Yeah. That came from the First Flag Act in 1777. And then, after two states were added to the Union, the first two states, two more stripes and two more stars were added. Did you realize that? At one time, the American flag had 15 stripes and 15 stars, and the two states were Vermont and Kentucky. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. And that was the way this flag was for like 15 years, from 1794 on. George Washington made the change there because okay. he, the, fla- the Congress right. passed that flag but, act. But why did they take them off? Well, because in 1818, they just started thinking as more states came into being, yeah. this is going to be pretty ungainly to have a flag with 15 stripes, 15 stars. Now it's not 20 stripes and 20 stars. Now 25 stripes and 25 stars. It's going to really look bad. Okay. So they decided, let's just keep the stripes at 13. Let's remove those two stripes we had, which were for Kentucky and Vermont, uh-huh. and we just add stars from this point Well, on. that was smart. That yeah. was very smart. So the two states that had stripes removed from the flag were Vermont and Kentucky. It, you know, and, and uh, plus it's it's symbolically, historically interesting because there were 13 original states and that's a tip of the hat to them. And then all the rest of us came on as a star. That's nice. That's it. The 13 original colonies are yeah. honored with those stripes. Correct. That came from the Flag Act of April 14, 1818. Ever since then, we've just added a star. Okay. 
Let's talk platypuses, Bob. Oh, yes, my favorite. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go from <laughs> Isn't start. that one of those weird animals? That, oh, it is so bizarre looking. That nobody it, knew where it, it came from. It looks like a, a toy from hell. It's <laughs> just got that ridiculous mouth, you know? Odd-looking creatures, They yes. are weird, weird, weird looking. They don't look anywhere near real. But how do they chew their food since they have no teeth, Bob? Wow, I didn't even know they had no teeth. That's right. I didn't know they chewed. Do they have gums that just kind of gum their food? Yeah, that's a good question. Like very yeah, they, old people who've lost their teeth? They puree everything. In, in a matter of speaking, they actually do. What they do is they, they uh, pick up rocks and pebbles in their cheek pouches. They have pouches in their cheeks, and they keep them in their cheeks until it's time to eat. And then they crunch the food with the rocks no in their kidding. mouth. No yeah. So they make they make use of teeth they don't have. That's right. They pretend that's their teeth, and they grind their food with rocks. Wow. I didn't know that. What an interesting evolutionary thing to do. Well, how did they <laughs> figure that out? That's I, the interesting. <laughs> who was inside that platypus yeah, uh, looking uh, I, at those I don't know. rocks? You got to eat. Okay, I've got some fun animal questions here. What animal products were once as valuable as diamonds? When I say products, I mean this is something that came off of or came from an animal. What animal products were once as valuable as diamonds? Well, the oils, different oils were. No? I don't no? think so. You're shaking your head. I don't think this so. This is radio, Bob. That's right. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. No, Marcia. Okay. It's ostrich feathers. Oh, okay. Did you know that? No, I didn't. For a long time in the late 19th and early 20th century, ostrich feathers were highly regarded fashion accessories and were as valuable per pound as diamonds. Oh, my gosh. That comes from Britannica. And okay. I've got another one here. Okay. What are your chances of being killed by a shark, Marcia? Are we talking percentage? One in uh, so many? Or what are we? How? One okay. in how many million? Really? Okay. I wouldn't have even said it. Oh, well, one in how many million? Uh, one in your chances of being killed by a shark are closer when you're near the water, of course. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> uh, up here in the studio, not so much. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, I'll say one in five million. Well, the National Geographic has estimated the odds of being killed by a shark are one in three point seven million. Yeah, so that's less than. It's a lot less than most people think. Well, then it's easier to get eaten by a shark than winning the lottery. Let's compare those two. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to be eaten by a shark than it is to win, win the, the lottery. Yeah, that's that's right. really apples and oranges. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. Okay, Bob. All right. What is the only rock that humans eat? The only rock? Think about it. We eat rocks? We do. We eat rocks. Not grape nuts. Because <laughs> those feel like rocks in the, my mouth those sometimes. Are the, those are the pebbles you use to chew your food. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, gee, I, I give up on that one. I okay. don't know. Uh, rock salt. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. That's a kind of a term, rock salt. It's not really a rock, but okay. It's called rock salt because it, it comes from uh, it comes from sodium rock layers in the Earth's crust. That's true. That's uh, true. Yeah, and there's a rock salt you put on icy road, and then there's a more refined rock salt that you can use in cooking, which I do occasionally. It's a type of salt that comes from the ocean bottom or rocky layers of the Earth's crust, and it's formed from the remnants of ancient bodies of water. Well, that's good. Yeah. That was a good question. Oh, thanks, Bob. All right, another water question. All Marcia. right. For years, experts have argued which river is longer, the Amazon or the Nile, because yeah. they're almost the same length. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's a new measure of size that's determined the answer is the Amazon. It's bigger 
than the Nile. What's the new measure of size? Oh, tributaries? I think that was actually solved in 2007. There was a Brazilian scientist that actually had a 14-day excursion, and they measured all of the tributaries. They measured it, and it was longer. It was uh, 4,225 miles to 4,160 miles. The Amazon. But the answer (laughs) is a new measure, and the measure is the volume of water that goes out into the ocean. That's a new measurement. And measured by the volume of water it releases into the ocean, the Amazon is now considered the largest river in the world. How big is it? Every year, the Amazon releases the equivalent of a dozen Mississippi rivers into the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. That's amazing. So the Amazon wins on both counts. Yes. Okay. All right, Bob, what is the first book written on a typewriter? The first book written on a typewriter? Well, supposedly, it was Mark Twain's, it was either The Adventures of Tom Sawyer or it was uh, Life on the Mississippi, which I think was about you think Huckleberry, Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Tom Sawyer. Good for you. Uh, and Mark Twain uh, was the first one to do it. He used a 1904 Remington, which had no shift key. So he wrote <laughs> Tom Sawyer in all capital letters. And uh, that was the very first book written on a typewriter. Oh, and that was a headache for the typesetter then. He had to determine what was uppercase and lowercase. Oh, I didn't think of that. And yeah, yeah. that was all probably done with a line of type machine. Yeah. So there was an yeah. operator there going, oh, no. I'm not going <laughs> to print this whole thing in all caps. What's interesting... Um, Mark Twain is not that long ago in our world, yeah. and uh, to think that was the first typewritten book is amazing. It me. is amazing when you think of that. Another century later, we were just getting into really digital stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Okay, Marcia, did you know that there is a USDA regulation that controls the size of Swiss cheese holes? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> okay, now there's a yes, there is. Co- coveted position. <laughs> and it's precise, too. Is it? Yeah. All right, what is it? Well, according to Britannica, the U.S. Department of Agriculture says the majority of holes in Swiss cheese sold in the United States should be between 3 eighths and 13 sixteenths of an inch. Oh, for God's sake. That is the regulation. Well, is there a cheese hole counter that goes out measuring this stuff? Yeah, an inspector that comes into the cheese factories. That's right. Wait a minute. Your holes are a little big here. Really? Why would you go with 360? We can't call this Swiss cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, Harry, the cheese inspector's back, you know. (laughs) Get the cheese holes down. What a day I had at the factory, honey. (laughs) Those holes just too big, too small. If that cheese holes gets any bigger, that's going to be a cheese head hat. What a nightmare. (laughs) Okay. Oh, God. Okay. Boy, that went off on a diversion, didn't it? It did. I didn't mean to go there. But I'm going back to books. Okay. Do you know that you can buy what is considered the world's first novel on Amazon Books? Well, you can't. Do you know the name of the book or its author? The first novel? Yeah. So was this the world's first? The world's novel. first novel was this in what? Was this in English? Eventually. Okay. Was it in French? What was the original language? Japanese. Japanese. Uh huh. Hmm. Well, then it'd have to be in the 1500s if it was printed. Well, no, they made books here. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. What's the answer, Marsh? It's a thousand-year-old epic written by a woman, hmm. Murasaki Shikabu, and it's called The Tale of Genji. It's a prose narrative, 1,300 pages long, written in the 11th century in Japan. 
And it's a novel that follows the life and romances of a young man named Hikar Genji. Wow. The tale had global influence in 1925 after an English translation was done. And a review was written by no one less than Virginia Woolf. Oh, really? Yeah, in British Vogue magazine. And got written up, and then people started uh, reading it again. So she liked it then? Yeah. Anyway, you can get it for 99 cents on your Kindle. Wonder who gets the royalties. The question is, who gets the royalties these <laughs> yeah, days? That's a good question. It's a thousand years old. Yeah. Now, I wonder what constitutes a novel, because some of those early, you know, mythic tales you could think were is novels. Is a tale. Uh, yeah, but this was an actual one-person romance, ups and downs, of a guy named Genji. Genji. All yeah. right. Tales of Genji. Marsha, I had a question a couple weeks back on what were the tallest sand dunes in North America. Yes, and they were in... Colorado. That's correct. All right. Now the answer. <laughs> now we're moving to another high, highest kind of thing feature, Marsh. Okay. Where are the world's highest sea cliffs? Now I'll give you choices here, okay? Thank you. The White Cliffs of Dover in England, New Zealand, Hawaii, Australia, or Big Sur in California. Oh, Where wow. are the world's highest sea cliffs? Mm-mm-mm. I haven't been to all those places. I'll just guess. Uh... Again, England, New Zealand, Hawaii, Australia, or California? I'll say California. And you've seen those big ones on Big Sur. Those are 1,600 feet to 3,280 feet tall. These are even taller. Yeah, not big enough. These are 3,315 feet tall. Is that one in Dublin? Nope, they're in Hawaii. Okay, been there. Kaulapapa Cliffs on the north shore of the Hawaiian island of Molokai. Mm. They rise an incredible 3,315 feet over the Pacific. It's a 3,315-foot drop. And you can't reach the cliffs by car. You have to hike a 3.5-mile trail with 26 switchbacks at a 2,000-foot descent. Kalapapa Cliffs in Kalapapa. Hawaii. Kalapapa. I just like to say that. Hi, I'm Kalapapa. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get serious. Well, I'm being serious. Want to guess what is the longest recorded flight of a chicken? <laughs> in Hawaii. Those little chickens in Hawaii. That Kalapapa. Oh, well, let's see. The longest recorded flight of a chicken. I never think of chickens as flying. They're like turkeys. They don't fly very far, I don't believe. But, uh, hmm. Okay. Uh, I'll go for uh, 20, 200 miles. No, no, no. Okay. I'm talking in time. What do you mean time? How long? How long did they uh, okay. stay? Okay, so then, then it is what I suspected. <laughs> I'll take 35 seconds. Well, that would be long. It's uh, recorded in 2014, 13 seconds. <laughs> the flight of the chicken. That's right. And in case you're wondering, the longest distance recorded so far is 301 feet. Well, <laughs> chickens just can't make it real well. well. No, and you're asking, why are they so bad? Well, their flying? wings probably. Their they're... wings are too small and their flight muscles are too large. So they've and evolved in the wrong direction. It makes it hard to take off or stay up. So what was WKRP? What was the birds that... Turkeys. They dropped turkeys. turkeys? Yeah. As they... God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so neither one can fly and they're both birds that are eaten. So yeah. do you think there's any connection there? I think so. <laughs>
okay. <laughs> Although we did have that one uh, question uh, some time back about how chickens for centuries were considered uh, exotic beasts, yeah. and they were revered. And then somebody t- said, hey, these taste pretty good, well, and that fa- was the end of that. Yeah, someone invented barbecue sauce. That's what happened. <laughs> All right, let's take a break here. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. We'll be back in just a moment. Take those little wings, and you sauce them up. And you <laughs> okay, enough of to- that. Go watch the football game. <laughs> Okay, Marcia, we're back again, and I have a I have an animal question for you. All righty. I found a couple of these uh, out of uh, Britannica. They have a daily feature, and it pops up, and I, I get that. And this one was interesting. What sea creatures are louder than a gunshot? There's a sea creature. Really? Louder than a, a gunshot. gunshot. Uh, and it's named aptly. It's kind of funny. No, the screech owl. That doesn't no, make sense. No. That's not a bur- that's not a sea creatures. Sea, creature. sea creatures, Marcia. Yes, I'm thinking it's named something Apley that lives in the water and has a loud name like uh, the banshee. No, it's the pistol shrimp. <laughs> Aptly named. Wow, shrimp, By snapping huh? their claws, pistol shrimp can shoot bubbles at their prey at the rate of 60 miles per hour, stunning them, and the sound is louder than a gunshot. Wow. Pistol shrimp. Well, Oh, isn't well, that interesting? Yes. Well, going on that theme, Robert, what animal can see more colors than any other animal on the planet, including humans? Really? Mm-hmm. See more colors? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a friend of mine in high school. <laughs> I used to go out with him. <laughs> hey, Seymour. Yeah. Um, I think it's some kind of a bird. Yeah. Because birds can see some kind of ultraviolet rays and things yeah, that we can't some, see. Yes. Different parts of the spectrum. That so is correct. What's the answer? The mantis shrimp. <laughs> we're, we're still in the water here. We're still with the shrimp, Bob. Oh, wow, uh, yeah. okay. The mantis shrimp can see 10 times more color than humans and can see 16 colors in all. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Again, how do they figure this out? Uh, I know. Do they it, interview right, so, the shrimp? So I mean, humans have three color receptive cones in their eyes. Okay. And the shrimp, mantis shrimp, has 16 color receptive cones. Okay. Uh I stupidly wonder what the colors were, and I wanted to see them, but of course I couldn't see them. <laughs> if you can't see them, no, you can't I see thought, them. Oh, I would like to Google. I want to see what they look like. Well, duh. <laughs> oh, my. We think we're superior to them, but no, no, no. But no. 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 You know, I was reading something the other day, and they were talking about screen time. You know, parents are rightly concerned about the amount of screen time Correct. kids have with right. today's digital devices. So be. then I remember when we were kids, parents were always talking about screen time back then, but it was always about the television. So yeah. how does screen time today compare with the 1960s? Well, that's curious. Mm-hmm. My own little to... weird question. Well, I have to think twice as much screen time today because they're doing it day and night, and we just watched it all night back then. So I'll say it's tripled. Well, it's kind of apples and oranges, but I got some interesting stuff here, okay? Okay. According to Common Sense Media, the average screen time today for kids, kids, not including schoolwork or homework, is four hours, 44 minutes for kids 8 to 12 years old. That's on a daily basis. And seven hours, 22 minutes for 13 to 18-year-olds. So the higher up you go, the more more screen time. Okay, well, guess what? Preschoolers in the late 1960s were looking at TV screens nearly eight hours a day on average. That's according to The Atlantic magazine. In fact, parental worries about media stretch all the way back to the early years of the 20th century. 
from the Washington Post in 1931. The radio seems to find parents more helpless than did the funnies, the automobile, the movies, and other early invaders of the home because it cannot be locked out or the children locked in. So they were worried about the radio, <laughs> yeah, just like TV yeah. and now computers. I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. Well, the trouble today, though, I mean, kids don't even interact anymore. They just text, even if they're in the same room. Well, interestingly enough, in that 1931 article, Sidney Master Greenberg, the director of the Child Study Association of America, what uh-huh. did she say the biggest worry radio gave parents? <laughs> what? How it interfered with conversation, oh. music practice, group games, and reading. And around it goes. Yeah, right? so the more things change, the more they remain the same. Remember last week, Bob, we talked about the elephant trunk and all its muscles? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember how many it had in its trunk? 44,000? 40. 40,000, yeah. 40,000 muscles and tendons. Amazing. How many think a caterpillar, which is a little smaller than a elephant? Oh, thank you very much. How many muscles in their bodies? Now, the human being has about 600 muscles in our bodies. Okay. Um, I would say like 2,000 for the caterpillar because yeah. it's smaller and it needs a lot of muscles just like that uh, just there elephant's for, trunk. For wiggling and squiggling, but it's twice that, 4,000 muscles. 4,000, it, so it's a tenth. Oh, a tenth of the elephant. Yes, yeah. you're right, exactly. The head alone of a caterpillar has 248 muscles, so it does a lot of stuff going on. Wow. It, they are very... Uh, I wonder how that compares when they become butterflies. Oh, I think about it. Well, where do the muscles go? Yeah, do they lose them? Amorphic? I don't yeah, know. Very I don't interesting. Know. Oh, my God, I'm just thinking okay. of so many things here. I can't come up with the answers. <laughs> but I do have some answers for you on word origins, Marcia. I like word origins. Okay. Pilsner beer. Where did that name come from? Pilsner, England. No. Pilsley, England. No. Uh, Pilstown. No. <laughs> John Pilsner. You're on the right track. <laughs> Pilsnen, Czech Republic. Okay. The pale lager was created in response to the dissatisfaction with the quality of beers in the Czech Republic, what is now the Czech Republic, during the 1800s. And in 1842, a brewer in the town of Pilsen created a new style of beer. It was a big hit. Oh, okay. That's how it came It's good beer, too. All right, another one. Uh, Baklavas. uh, Baklava. Good, uh, Good Greek dessert. Well, this is the headgear of skiers and robbers. The oh. <laughs> balaclava, I guess it oh, is. Oh, yeah, that's a little different. Balaclava, though. okay. <laughs> Tell me where that comes from. Where then, does the name come from? Uh, the Balkans. No, it comes from Ukraine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it comes from a town of the same name okay. in Ukraine where an important battle was fought. Okay. Okay. And speaking of wars, what two countries in the world have fought the most wars, Bob? What two countries have fought the most wars? Now, are these... Modern countries? I mean, are we talking in world history there are two countries? Yeah. Because a lot of countries weren't around 300 years ago. Yeah. So I can't tell you the answer. Okay, sure. No no way to know. (laughs) Okay, tell me the answer. All right. This this knocks me out. Sweden and Denmark. Really? Yeah. You think of them as very peaceful. Yeah, you always think of them as not doing... These peace-loving people of the Scandinavian region. (laughs) And all their... Hiku or haiku? No, not hiku. Wait, hold on. What is that called? Higgy. Oh, the higgy, yeah. They got the higgy, but they got the war, too. Okay, they have fought each other for centuries. I mean, they hold the record for around 30 wars since the 15th century. Wow. That's a lot. 30 wars since Since the the 15th century (laughs) in those two, what are now those two countries. Yeah. 
Of course, you had before that, you had the uh, Vikings coming from that area. So, yeah, they do have some problems. (laughs) Okay, Marshall, let's go back to that first question I had about the states that had the stripes removed. Okay. Let's go back to the big flag that we have the name of the song for, the Star Spangled Banner. Uh How big was the Star Spangled Banner in the famous song? How big was the Star Spangled Banner in our famous national anthem song? Okay, five by ten. Five foot by ten foot? Mm -hmm. No, it was absolutely huge. It was 30 feet tall and 42 (laughs) feet wide. So big that every star was two feet tall. What kind of flagpole did it have? It's called a garrison flag, and it was raised after the battle. And because of it being so huge, it was seen, and that's what... Francis Scott Key saw oh, and really? realized, oh, the Americans won the battle. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it was, was a it, huge flag. What did they hang it up? Well, they had a they had a, a flagpole there, but they had an all-night bombardment by the British. Uh-huh. That's one of those battles you don't think much about, but it was yeah. right after the the War of 1812 began. Yeah. Yeah. They they burned the British, burned Washington and the White House. Then they set their sights on the nearby city of Baltimore, which was the third largest city at the time. Fort McHenry was there, and the British couldn't bring in their big battleships, so they brought in rocket ships. They had actually a ship called a rocket ship. And then they had these others that fired all these. There were like six different battleships that fired mortars and rockets, brand new, newly invented rockets. And the flag was still Well, the rockets red glare, the bombs bursting in air because it comes from the concrete rockets. But 27 hours in driving rain of a bombardment, and then they hoist that huge flag, and that's how everybody knew. That must have been thrilling. The British lost, after all. (laughs) It was the beginning of the end of the War of 1812. Okay, Bob, who is the only American listed among the pioneers of French Impressionism? I didn't didn't know there were any Americans. Yes, there is one, and that person is right up there with Monet, who began it. Okay, yeah. Manet, Renoir, Pissarro, Cezanne, and... I would know this person. Yes. The person's name is... I don't know. (laughs) Well, would it help you if I tell you it's a woman? Uh, no, I can't remember her Mary name. Mary Cassatt. Mary Cassatt. Yes, I do remember that. <laughs> yes, and we have a book downstairs That's with right. her face on That's it. That's <laughs> right. So tell me about her. Born in 1844 in what is now Pittsburgh, she lived much of her adult life in France, where she developed her art and became one of the most important figures in the Impressionist movement. So the first Impressionist painter in America was a woman. That's quite a distinction. Yes, it is. Okay, Marcia, what do these countries have in common with the United States? Oh, yeah. Great Britain, Mexico, Spain, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Italy, Bulgaria, Hungary, and Romania and Japan. Now, you notice Hungary was mentioned twice in there because at one point it was Austria, Hungary, and then it was Hungary. But all those countries, there's 10 countries there. What do they have in common with the United States? This goes back to one of your questions. Oh, gosh. They are the only countries that we've officially declared war against in our history. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> oh, it didn't ring any bell. Yeah, like again, that. Great Britain, Mexico, Spain, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Italy, Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, and Japan. Wow. Now, ironically, we never declared war on Vietnam or Afghanistan, even though those yeah, wars I was say. They were the longest wars in our history. 
We never voted yeah, on know, declaring war. But it was war. The presidents never asked for a declaration of war, yeah. and yet those wars lasted longer. But yeah, those are the 10 countries. So that's what they have in common with the United States. We declared war on them. Okay. I'm finishing up with a quote by Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah. That is what people remember. And you and I believe that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we hope you remember us in a good way and return again <laughs> hope later. We, hope we made you feel good. <laughs> our One of our listeners, Val, wrote us a letter and said uh, her dad had to put his dog down and to cheer him up, she put on our show. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. And yeah. he liked it. He loved it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to end the show. <laughs> we hope that you return when we return. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time for The, the Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.